Good morning. Welcome to Real Time with IPELRA, a podcast dedicated to HR topics in local government. I'm Megan Falera. And I'm Christina White. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're talking about implicit bias. With us today is Janelle Tarasevich. She's the principal consultant at Aperture EQ, a consulting and training company that helps leaders and teams develop techniques to adjust their lenses. Janelle has spent nearly 20 years in the field of human resources and over a decade in the public sector. She recently conducted several webinars for NPELRA and even hosted uh, at the WPELRA conference on the topic of implicit bias. And she is here today via the power of technology all the way from Seattle, Washington. Janelle, good morning, welcome. Good morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm excited. We are so glad to have this cross-country connection. I know. I love it, right? I mean, this virtual world we're living in definitely makes for some fun ways to connect and still engage in some really cool conversations. Absolutely. Well, that's what I hope um, we have today. So what? let's just jump right into it. What is implicit bias, and do we all have it? Implicit bias is basically one giant lesson in social psychology. Um, One thing I should share is in addition to my public sector and HR background, um, I also teach psychology at uh, colleges up here in Washington. And so I've spent, gosh, 10 years or so teaching psychology. And so that's another passion of mine. And it always ends up seeping into the topics I end up training on. And this is one of them. (laughs) It really, bias is just referring to our attitudes and stereotypes and then how that ends up impacting our actions and decisions and and it does it in a really unconscious way which is a, a lot to unpack sometimes it's really talking about the unconscious mind there's a lot going on there so there's a lot that we absorb ideas stories images you know growing up in our environment our communities and our brain wants to make sense of that information so implicit bias is just a piece of how we end up categorizing information and how those categories end up creating biases that we then act upon, right? And we do that in a way that we don't necessarily have a, a full conscious understanding of. So it's, it's difficult. Wow. So, that's, no one, that's fascinating. Yeah. No one wants to think of themselves as being biased. So how do you begin to address that with, with groups? You know, <laughs> this is always a hard one in trainings because I, I don't want to do anything that is going to, um, undercut or or lower the impact of the discussion, right? But I also want to do it in a way that people are going to be receptive. And it's always really hard sometimes to take on a heavy topic and do it in that way. But first, I always try to start out my trainings kind of playing around with optical illusions, because I know one, we're all familiar with them. (laughs) Um, Two, they're fun. But three, illusions are a great way to really highlight how the brain organizes information. So in doing that, we start out just kind of seeing how these illusions work. And as I teach about the illusions, we then look at them again, and we realize that learning how it works doesn't diminish the impact of the illusion. Like, just because you know the magic, right, behind the illusion doesn't now, I don't see it differently. Because my brain is still organizing information in this unconscious way. Like, I don't necessarily have control over that. And so it lends itself to really start out a good discussion, because then I immediately follow that with a really quick, quick slideshow of faces. And we see how we suddenly are taking these unconscious illusions and now turning them into people and how we categorize groups. 
And so that is a, a good way I found to kind of engage in a conversation that gets people off the defenses. Because that, that's the hardest part, is I, I have to try to engage in a conversation. And we can't have good discourse if our defenses are raised. And that is so quick to occur <laughs> in, this, in this discussion. And I can appreciate why, right? So I mean, I, I try to do that first. And then too, I bring my own examples in the discussion of times that I have caught myself, right? Acting upon my implicit biases. Because there's something about, as a trainer, you know, if I'm vulnerable, you know, my participants tend to join in on the discussion. So there's a couple of things I try to do just to get people into a place of, like, please hear what I have to say. <laughs> let's, let's start with some science, right? Of how this works. And then we can work our way up into bigger discussions. One thing that I would think is um, probably something like you have to have a disclaimer at the beginning of any of these trainings. I mean, immediately when we think of bias, we think bias is bad. If bias mm -hmm. is bad, I don't want to be bad. Therefore, I do not have bias. Absolutely. How do you, right. The, the, I'm, I'm reading that book, um, White Fragility, right now, and it's, it's talking about how um, – People don't want to acknowledge um, this very difficult issue of racism. They don't want to admit that they might have some sub subconscious, unconscious um, belief systems and patterns, which it sounds like it's all part of the fabric of our makeup that we can't, that you truly can't go through life without having any of these things. But because we've associated bad and bad person with this, we won't even acknowledge the issue because we don't want to think that we, or we associate it with bad as opposed to sort of like an original sin that we're all born with. Absolutely. And first of all, Robin D'Angelo, the white fragility yep. author, amazing. Oh my gosh. She has so many YouTube, I mean, so much. Oh my goodness. She's been doing this work for so long. I love that you're reading that. Um, yeah. But you're right. I mean, you're right. And it, think about it this way. There's some, this is going to sound unreal, but there's some 11 million bits of information our body is sending to our brain for processing in any given second but our conscious mind can only process about like 50 bits per second. I mean, that's a major Delta. Right. Right. That's why when you really break down the science behind these categories or these stereotypes that we create, they're meant to be adaptive. I can't possibly have a name for every individual piece of furniture, for example. Right. And so I say, Oh, a chair, my schema, my concept of a chair is like, oh, it has four legs, I can sit on it. I won't even say four legs, because then I realize some schools have three, and how does that happen? Some have one, you just have right. really good balance. <laughs> you could sit on a ball, that's a chair. I mean, you know what I mean? You have these frameworks for how we contain information, because I can't possibly keep it all in one space. And so our brain does this on purpose. It's meant to help us make sense of information. It helps us make decisions and does so relatively quickly. Um, it's just that we fall into these traps when those decisions then end up erring on the side of bias, right? And so if we can just come from a place of all understanding, it is there. It's literally how our brain is wired. It's not meant to be an excuse of, oh, well, that's just how I am. Right. There's nothing I can do about it, right? I want to I be real clear on that point. But it's, okay, my brain is wired that way. So I need to approach every situation, decision, interaction, knowing that bias is going to creep in. So I need to try to set up some protocols there to try to prevent that from occurring. And that can be difficult to do. It can be overwhelming to even start to process. <laughs> but I mean, mm -hmm. that's a big part of it is, is trying to tear down some of those, like I said before, defenses. Of, I don't want to, I don't want to be racist. I don't want to be called that. I don't want to come across that way. And most people don't. <laughs> like we're not talking about right. explicit 
involvement in discriminatory acts. That's not what I tend to see. It's small moments. It's microaggressions in the workplace. It's little moments. But those little moments have major impact. <laughs> That's what we're talking about, right? So it, it, it's difficult. So the, like for me, a big role I feel like for me as a trainer is getting people to a place of let's understand this is based in science, it's how our brain works, and let's open the space to have a conversation where we can actually hear and not get defensive about what this means. Right. Since you mentioned that you um, also teach psychology, which is amazing, um, I'm reminded of the um, parable or analogy of elephant and rider. And, and that is if you are uh, looking at yourself as um, an intellectual being, and you can probably articulate this better than I can, as you being the rider on the elephant, the brain, the, the intellectual part of you is um, the conscious decision-making portion, and the elephant is your emotion. So if we think of it like, um, you know, the conscious thing can say, oh, I don't want to be biased. I don't want to do that. But if your natural tendency or your, or your um, emotional being is to categorize like we are um, or to resort back to familiarity, it's going to be hard to, hard to do that. And so I think the, the awareness is what comes from it. And then working with that, those feelings and those um, emotions and, and then helping to create a clear path to navigate, um, aware that you may have these tendencies that, you know, the elephant may pull in this direction or that direction, but to consciously t try to help and, and be kind and acknowledge that and, and guide it where you want to be. Absolutely. Yeah. And Janelle, you touched on something um, that's really, I think, fascinating to me um, in just the context of bias in itself isn't always a bad thing. Um, you gave the example of, of the chair. So, you know, our mind is using this tool essentially to process information. So, and you touched a little bit about on, on the issue of, of bias and, and racism. And I think sometimes people use those terms interchangeably, or they start to feel like if someone's talking to me about my inherent biases, they're saying that I'm racist. Um, are they the same thing? And, and why is it important to understand the difference between the two? Well, with, with racism, oftentimes people are automatically thinking, they're associating that with, oh, well, you're calling me a bigot, or I'm overtly racist, I'm engaging in discriminatory acts. I mean, it's a very um, obvious right, action, behavior. And really, when it comes to racism, it's the ultimately, you know, kind of basic definition is a belief that personality, behavior, or morals can be traced back to race, and or believing that race is one superior to another. Um, some typical examples, and I've, <laughs> I talk about an interesting semester to be teaching psychology. I mean, we start with a worldwide pandemic, and then we move very quickly into um, riots. And I live in Seattle area. So I'm sure you've heard a lot of what's been going on in our downtown area, not unsimilar to other, you know, major cities, right throughout the country. Um, right. But here being so close to a city center, just with our location, so many of my students were involved in those movements. So hearing their stories, I mean, what an interesting time to be engaging in this dialogue. So many of my students are saying, okay, well, so us Asians are have a coronavirus, and uh, black people are violent. Right. I mean, they're just like Ugh. one in one. Right. I mean, what a, what a perfect example. Right. And as sad as it is to talk about what racism is. Right. So those are racist comments attributing qualities of another person based solely on race, where bias is. I mean, they're obviously closely related, but bias is that unconscious piece. Right. There's overt discrimination or, or racist act, a store clerk watching a black customer more closely than a white customer. 
but an unconscious bias might be a hiring manager feeling that a white candidate is more qualified than a Latino candidate, despite the fact that they have very similar experience and resumes. So there's just a, a lot there. And so that's why one of the myths might be, hey, I'm not ignorant. I'm not mean spirited. I know about bias, you know, therefore I don't have implicit bias. It's like, no, but we all do. Like, we need to just come to a place where we all understand that we do. And it's not a value judgment. It's not a value statement, right? I'm not saying you're a bad person because you have it. I'm saying we all have bias. So what can we all do as a collective to make sure that we have, as I mentioned before, those protocols in place to try to, I, I, I don't want to say eliminate, but to try to mitigate some of those actions right. that might come outside of that. And I think going back to that book I'm reading at the same time, I think it's important to acknowledge that this is something that exists within our society. One of the other things the author points out is to say, oh, I, I don't see color, is to dismiss that as a, as a claim that racism mm -hmm. does exist and to not give it the attention that it deserves. Um, it's uncomfortable. It is um, a difficult subject. It's much easier to just, you know, whitewash it and just kind of ignore it but sometimes in order for progress to occur and for us to address situations we have to get uncomfortable and that is the oh goodness I love that you mentioned that because this that's one of the things I tend to see the most and incidentally so I do you know I teach psychology but I've also spent so many years in HR that I also teach a lot of leadership training classes and one of the courses that I teach is managing difficult conversations and I can't help but picture sometimes that my implicit bias class is like a combo of the two. <laughs> let's learn what implicit yeah. bias is and then let's learn how to be uncomfortable and hang with a difficult conversation. So it's like hard conversations are awkward, people avoid them as it is, let alone with something as sensitive and personal as talking about our biases and our race and our opinion, you know, all of these things are just so deeply woven into just who we are as individuals, as communities. Um, it's just history, right? I mean, laws that were created, so right. many, so, so, so many moving parts. Um, and it is uncomfortable. I think one of my favorite little, you know, social media things, right? But it was a, a little Venn diagram in like top corner. It's like, I believe that there could be some reform in the police department. The next one could is, a, you know, I think that people that are rioting um, are, are, hurting our communities and hurting people that aren't even involved right in the situation. I mean, it goes through it. So four different points. Um, the other counterpoint is, oh, police officers are there to help us. And, you know, the large majority are awesome, wonderful people. And the, you know, we, hey, we kneeled and you weren't listening. So we have to riot, right? You have all these different kind of counterpoints. And then right in the middle of the Venn diagram, it says, it's okay to be here. And I love yeah. that because so many times we jump into these conversations and I suddenly I have to take a point I have to stand behind an argument it's like but do we like why can't we sit there in the middle and hear all sides and say yes we could see some reform in our communities yes most of the police officers are amazing people willing to risk their lives for us what amazing humans yes right I mean you go through each counterpoint and there's truth mm -hmm. in each of that um, it's just how do we hang in with the conversation to understand that instead of you know, we don't validate it. It's the, oh, black lives matter. Oh, no, but all lives matter. It's like, okay, those are totally different conversations. Like, let's just hang with the black lives matter and say, yes, I'm hearing you. Please tell me more. I want to hear your perspective because it's different than mine. And so I don't understand it. Please tell me more. Right. 
I think that's so important, Janelle, because it, especially with that, the, the argument that you bring up um, with going back and forth and sort of point for point, all of those things can be true at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, it, and, and this isn't, I don't think, a, a situation or a time where we should be focusing so much on which side is right and which side is wrong. They can both be right, right? So you can, you can support Black Lives Matter, you can support police, um, you can acknowledge that there's bias and that there might be some um, racism that exists in the systems that are built and the way that they're built and also acknowledge that there's law and order for a reason and that you need police for a reason. And so there, I think those are valid points. And we've focused a lot on, on the racism aspect, but just to be clear, bias can exist beyond even just race. It can exist in a variety of, of places, right? So talk a little bit maybe about that too. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, even just something as simple, I mean, from HR to HR here, we see it all the time as we recruit or promote. It's little moments. Um, it's me over the years talking with hiring managers, explaining, oh, well, the way in which we're talking about maybe internal candidates, we know them really well, you know, a male and a female candidate. Well, that, you know, that male candidate, he is just a really strong leader, you know, he's really forceful. And so the, the crew really, you know, they adhere to that. I know it can be tough at times, but, you know, he does a good job. He'll be a strong leader. Where the female, the exact same hiring process, the discussion is, well, she comes across a little rough and she, you know, kind of, and using, you know, some other language, right? That we may not be able to, to share online here and things. I'm like, whoa, you know, and as I point that out, saying, okay, the way we're talking about these two candidates, they both are strong, opinionated, and yet the way we're talking about the male versus female is totally different, right? And then I get the, you know, aren't you just being sensitive? <laughs> nope, mm -hmm. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> I'm trying to point out, you know, inherent bias, right? The way we might expect a female leader to behave versus how we expect a male leader to behave can be very different expectations. And so being able to allow that to have a place in our discussions is like step one, right? How do we engage in that conversation where I'm not trying to set up defenses, I'm not trying to get people, you know, feeling like they can't trust me or my advice or <laughs> the conversation we're having, but it needs to be a conversation we're having. Right. You, when so you use the example, go ahead. No, go ahead, Megan. When you use the example of um, considering a woman for a position, um, politics aside, I can't help but think about our upcoming and our previous presidential elections. Uh, there has to be some unconscious bias involved in the fact that people can't see a woman in the White House. Uh, you, you know, I, I suppose we could go down to, well, it's not the right candidate, it's this, that, and the other. I'm sure all of that plays into it, but Historically, it has been white men in the White House. It's true. I mean, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting dynamic across the board when you really are able to digest all the social components that are taking place. And there, there, there's just so much to unpack. It can be unpacked. It's overwhelming. But something as simple as, I mean, incidentally, just last night here, I'm watching old episodes of Gilmore Girls, right? Just my little fun show I like to watch. And on the episode, here are two, two teenage girls running for high school president, right? And vice president. And they took a poll and the president, I don't know if you're familiar with the show, but Paris um, Geller is one of the um, main actresses and, and she's just really tough and people don't like her. She's kind of mean and runs around kind of running the high school and they took a poll everybody felt like she's most competent most qualified would do a great job but also most of them are not going to vote for her because they don't like her <laughs> and I'm like yeah. that's awesome 
I'm like, what a perfect example of, and I get it. You need to have both, especially as a leader, right. In the organization. Like I get that. Um, it's just, it's just a funny balance sometimes. Yeah. Likeability was one of the things we talked about last week. Um, on the podcast when we had Jen McMahon and talking about how to get promoted, it's not only competency, it's also likability. Um, but I think that that can sometimes be used as a scapegoat when we're talking about acknowledging bias. Um, 100%. Absolutely. That, that is the hardest thing when we say one of the biggest areas, I think, especially in HR, is culture. Oh, they don't fit our culture. Well, what does that mean if we defined it? What, like, what are specific behaviors. Um, I love, I was reading an article a while back that said, you know, you have these posts that you see on Facebook, right? I saw something suspicious, right? This suspicious person was walking down. Well, let me guess, Mm -hmm. they were black wearing a hoodie where like they could have just been jogging, right? What what was it that made that suspicious? Was it they were taking pictures of your empty neighbor's house because you know they're on vacation. Like, okay, like now I'm listening, right? But instead of like, you see something, say something, they said, we should get in the habit of saying, if you see something suspicious, say something specific. And I love that. As we talk about even just something as simple as culture, that applies. It's always just our culture, some blanket statement that's riddled with bias. Like what specifically did we notice it doesn't fit into our culture? They engaged in behaviors that didn't exhibit they would be fair to their team. You know, I mean, tell me, right? Tell me <laughs> specific right. times that or what they've said, right? Um, and it's it's often not something done in interview or promotional processes. I think the EEOC would have a field day if they had a complaint from somebody in a protected class that didn't fit an organization because of cultural fit. Mm-hmm. And I, yep. I always when we're doing recruitment or, um, you know, I'm working with our, our managers, um, kind of educate them on that, that if they say they're not a cultural fit, then make it a teachable moment, um, push back and say, well, tell me why, you know, and if it comes out, well, you know, he's an old guy or he's this, or he's that, like, that's not a justifiable reason to not promote someone or not hire someone. Um, but sometimes, like you said, that it comes with unconscious bias. Yep, absolutely. And even something like you said a moment ago, think of age. I mean, we talk about bias versus just focusing on race. You know, I mentioned a gender example, but another one I often hear with age is, say, we're starting a new role, somebody who's maybe in their maybe a few years out from retirement, five, six years or so, so plenty of time, right, to engage in a new venture within the organization, but close enough to retirement that we know they're starting that countdown <laughs> in their mind, right? right? Um, and then the discussion is, oh, well, you know, this new role that we've created, it really is going to need like that go-getter getting in, doing all the things. I'm like, wow, you, you are now explaining that in a way that we're talking about a young person, right? Having that, mm-hmm. talk about categorization. I think of a young person, go-getter, someone new into the field that's going to ready to jump in new ideas. That may or may not be a person that's five, six years out from retirement, but I know plenty of people who are five, six out from retirement that would be perfect in that role and would be setting it on fire, right? And they would have the background and the institutional knowledge and know the community in such a way that they would do that role way more justice than a new person, right? But it's just talking out loud, what does that position need? What are, you know, when I talk about setting up protocols to try, try to minimize bias, it's thinking through a lot of those things prior to even screening a candidate's resume. 
I mean, it's thinking through what do we need specifically, not job description, but like behaviors and, you know, how they might mm-hmm. use community and communication skill sets and all the things, right? So that way we can keep our eye on that list and do what we can to minimize bias as much as possible. So I don't mean to, I don't mean to return, turn this into a recruitment specific discussion, but it certainly lends itself in our world to um, a lot of impact there. Well, I think it ties into our conversation like we had last week. Um, and even uh, before that, when we talked about uh, the expansion of, expansion of Title VII under the Civil Rights Act, we're just now formally acknowledging that um, gay and transgender people deserve equal protection under the law. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to acknowledge what our biases are and, and our unconscious elephant and rider steering things towards, you know, someone who, you know, we have this fantasy of we want to get someone young in the door and they're going to stay in this position forever. Well, there's no guarantees with any of that. And even if there were, it doesn't mean that it's the correct or legally defensible action to take in terms of recruitment and hiring. Christine, I knew you were going to say something a minute earlier and I, and I wanted to get back to you. Oh, that's okay. Um, so I just wanted to ask the question, Janelle, if, if bias is an unconscious association, then can it be unlearned? How do we, how do we change that? I guess that unconscious association, how do we fix, fix it? (laughs) Is there a way to fix it? You know, I, I like to kind of term it as relearning because it's all about the associations that we create. Um, Another great book for folks just really starting to learn about this. It's called Blind Spot by Banaji and Greenwald. And it breaks out a lot of the science of what I'm talking about here, which is why I love it, because it, it just, it, I mean, even their subtitle is Hidden Biases of Good People. And I love it. it just, it's a good starting place, right? And as they break down the science of the mind, a big part of that takeaway is, is slow down. When we're thinking fast, when we're moving fast, we are more and more vulnerable to our biases, because those are our mental shortcuts. They are how we categorize information. And I'm going to pull that information from my little mind's file cabinet and say, oh, this person, this thing, this place belongs in this file. But if I'm able to slow down, then I can make a shift and I'm less likely to act on that bias. It's not, I mean, easier said than done, but it's like what I said before. You see something suspicious, say something specific. I love it. Right? Break down, ooh, this feels uncomfortable. Ooh, they're suspicious. Well, but why? Is it that black hoodie that they're wearing? Because it's at night. Is it because they fit a, a typical profile that you see, right, on, on the media and stories, however, what we've heard, you know, where did we learn that? Who told me that? Like, who told me that that person was suspicious and why, right? Or are they engaging in a specific act, right? That's different. Because um, we have to assume at all times that unconscious bias is influencing our decisions. So being able to slow down, it's something as simple as, I mean, some of the examples I give when I'm training is I was walking across the street. Um, it was dusk, right? The street down our main city um, hall area downtown was pretty barren. And yet there were two teenage kids across the street, a young black man, a young white man, both in hoodies. Granted, I live in the Pacific Northwest, so it's rainy most of the time. <laughs> Hoodie weather. Hoodies. <laughs> yeah, but here I'm I found myself clutching my bag just a little bit tighter Mm. and as I walk across the street you guys as sure as I'm sitting here right now having this conversation with you the one kid hits his buddy in the stomach and says hey you know and kind of pulls him over to the side 
so they could make way for me. So I didn't have to step over the major puddle to get onto the sidewalk because they were blocking the way. Wow. And they both were like, oh, sorry, ma'am, as I walked by. Wow. Right. I mean, moments before I started clutching my bag a little tighter. I'm noticing my surrounding. It's, it's these little moments. And again, it, it's meant to categorize information in a way to protect me to a certain degree, right? I grew up in downtown Los Angeles, walking the streets at night when it was alone and there were two guys across the street, right? I mean, you know, there, there's some things there that, yeah, I need to be aware of, but I also need to be aware of the fact that I clutch my bag just on sight, right? No interaction, right? And in that moment, I was proven wrong, as I have been many times <laughs> when I've realized I've acted on these small moments. But those small moments can turn into big moments very quickly, um, so that's where it's important to try to, when I say unlearn, you know, can I say that, oh, I'll never stop clutching my bag if I'm, it's dusk and I see two guys in hoodies across the street. I don't know if I can promise that, but can I try to promise to be aware of my actions? Am I correct in assessing the situation? Am I giving them a fair shake when I cross the street and they say, oh, excuse me, ma'am, <laughs> and pave the way so I don't have to step over a puddle? Like, yeah, <laughs> I can try to make sure that I'm being aware in those moments for sure. Janelle, I think this topic and this conversation is so important that a 30-minute podcast is certainly not going to do it justice. Uh, as we come to a close today, I, I want to ask you, what would you like employers to know about this topic and why is it important to train on it? I, Like I said before, we all have unconscious bias. We need to just assume that it's impacting our decisions. But we as public sector employees, we have an amazing opportunity to impact change, like real change. Mm -hmm. Politics aside, politics aside, whether however our organizations are set up at the end of the day, it is our, our city, our public agency staff that are advising, guiding, drafting policies that have a direct impact on the decisions that our elected officials make. So learning about implicit bias is going to allow us to serve our communities better, make sustained change in the community. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. Right. When people say, oh, what are you doing to help the cause? I'm a public sector employee. That's what I'm doing. I am learning what I can. I'm making sure my policies aren't riddled with bias, as so many of ours are, um, and making sure that I can help move that forward. Right. I mean, what a quick, no, I shouldn't say quick, but what an impactful way to change our community. Absolutely. Janelle, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I love that you guys wanted to talk about this, so thank you. And I wish Absolutely. we had more time. If any of our listeners want to get in touch with you or if they'd like more information on this topic, how can you be reached? Well, you know, I'm really excited because I just got asked to put the my implicit bias training online. I've been moving a lot of my content online. Oh, wow. Um, and so that will be coming in the coming months. It'll be different than how I do it in person. Obviously, it's ideal talking in person, but with the world we live in now, that's not quite an option. So uh, my website is apertureeq.com, like aperture of a film lens, so apertureeq. And then um, I will, you know, hopefully, I mean, you can get in contact with me there, and then I can let interested folks know when that will be up and running. But I'm really excited about that opportunity. I think that's great. And you might even have an opportunity, uh, although unintended, by moving online to reach more people than you would, again, being located in the Pacific Northwest. That would be wonderful. I would love to engage with any and all who want to have this conversation with me. I would love it. Folks, we will go ahead and put a link to Janelle's website um, at this podcast, um, as well as a link to um, the book I mentioned, White Fragility and, and Blind Spot. And if any of our listeners have anything to say, we're listening. 
send us a recorded voice message we can play or join us on a future podcast. Connect with us through the website at www.ipelra.org. And of course, at Twitter on Twitter at I-P-E-L-R-A. Support IPELRA by becoming a member. We are dedicated to providing training and resources to HR and labor professionals and local government. I'm Megan Falera. And I'm Christina White. And this has been Real Time with IPELRA. Thank you so much for joining us.